So here's a good one for you, and I bet you've never heard this before. What do you do when your first day on the job, you are told that your boss is in so much trouble legally, she could end up going to the big house? What the heck do you do? And you love what you're doing, and you're good at it, but holy moly, how do you land that ship? after that happens. Well, that's exactly what happened to Heidi Diamond. And what I love is that she says that her Twitter handle is warrior. So you can probably guess how that story ended, but what a story. She was hired to work for Martha Stewart. Uh, I guess it was the whole corporation and she was running um, one of the big divisions when Martha was carted off <laughs> and had to go to jail um, for various reasons, five felonies. And she had to see the company through this very difficult time, especially it's not like, you know, Enron, it was the guy at the top. Nobody outside of Enron knew who he was. It didn't matter. But when you're the star of the company is the name of the company and the company is built around that star, then what do you do? So this is a wonderful discussion about hanging in there, being tough, being agile. And what she says is in those kinds of situations, she said that being able to communicate and being honest and transparent was what got them through the whole thing. And she actually managed to sort of turn the whole company around, even through the time that Martha was in, in jail and sort of bring the company back out. So she said that at the end, um, they were actually back in um, their auction stages with people you know, bidding to have the Martha Stewart show when at the beginning of this, nobody wanted her. And uh, so it's an amazing story about public relations and management and being a tough woman. So I want you to all listen to the great Heidi Diamond. So welcome, Heidi. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. And thrilled to be with you, Leslie, and, and with the Kobe Club community. Yeah, it's a good that community. three times. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good community to be part of. So let's talk about your beginning, because boy, what a story you have. Where did you grow up and what was your background at work? What did you start out with and, and what, were you, what were you aiming for? I'll give you the quick abridged version. Uh, I'm from just outside of Washington, DC. I was uh, head of marketing for the company that was the, the um, precursor to Blockbuster Video. We were the largest, nation's largest home video company. And I was at the video software dealers association convention in vegas and met a guy and sure enough had a whirlwind romance he was the banker that took blockbuster public whirlwind romance i moved to new york we were dinks double income no kids he was a banker and he was a wall street analyst and he followed besides blockbuster he followed Mattel and Hasbro and, and Nike and Reebok. And I got a job as the head of marketing for Nickelodeon. So we were dinks, double income, no kids. He could not 
publish to save his life, and he couldn't do an interview to save his life. He could model till the cows come home, but taught him how to talk to the media, taught him how to, I used to write everything that he would publish as an analyst. And um, I got my start in television with Nickelodeon. And from the US, I moved, I was the lone American that moved to the UK to launch Nickelodeon abroad. From there, I moved back to the States. I was an early, early pioneer when the telcos got into video on delivery and did the deal between Bell South, Southwestern Bell, Ameritech, and the Disney company. Then um, from there, I uh, was doing world news broadcast into schools with Anderson Cooper and Tracy Smith and Maria Menudos for a company called Channel One. And from there, I went to Food Network. Interesting note there is I tore my kitchen out and made it a closet. I don't cook. I'm really bossy in somebody's kitchen because I've learned so much from so many great chefs. I am a big foodie and a big eater. Uh, and when I was at Food Network is when I first met uh, some of the team from Martha Stewart. Um, but before I went to join Martha Stewart in the capacity as president, I had a couple other stints. Kind of the pattern with me is I'm a student of the consumer. And whereas I don't cook, I can sure make it appealing for a lot of people to watch a channel that was devoted to that. I didn't have children, I, Nickelodeon, teenagers, Channel One. I've been at Fuse, I've been at AMC, I've been at Women's uh, Entertainment, We. Um, the point there is you really have to learn what it, the consumer's needs and wants are. But I, um, what I thought we could talk about today is a completely impossible situation. I became the president at, of television at Martha Stewart right when she was in the midst of all of her trouble. Very first day on the job, who calls but our partners at CBS, it was then King World Distribution, telling me that they were gonna kick us to the curb because Martha was in trouble. And from there, I have a few sagas, but that's pretty much a quick recap. Um, needless to say, I've been in the content business for a good long time. Oh my God, it was the first day? I didn't know that. So talk about that. So, Well, the coincidence was when I was at Viacom, uh, the then president of Nickelodeon asked if I, if I could be seconded and lent out to the syndication division because they really needed product. And I started working with Viacom Syndication and we launched Nick News in syndication and we launched a program called Guts in syndication and a couple other really interesting Nickelodeon products. And sure enough, the guy who headed up distribution was, became the head of distribution at King World. And the very first call, the very first day that I got was from somebody I had done business with before. And they were gonna kick us to the curb. Martha was in trouble. Um, they had had their fair share of enough is enough with her and the company and there was some dysfunction. And by Thanksgiving of that year, I literally had to go to the board and ask 
to sue CBS. We had never sued anybody in the past, but they were clearly in breach of the contract. Um, we were gonna sue, but through some creativity, I have to say on my part, we ended up saving our real estate in syndication through a different type of distribution deal. I got a tremendous amount of on-air promotion to help alert consumers about what the heck was going on. And we held on throughout her trial only to then really be kicked to the curb. But there was a happy ending at the end of that, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. But so, talk about, you know, what they don't teach you in business school. Yes. There was, there was <laughs> no way. To no chapter that says what happens. But it, and it happens to a lot of people, right? I mean, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these companies end up in some kind of turmoil or financial turmoil or legal turmoil. So they should teach it. There should at least be a half a semester, don't you think? Well, a crisis communications or, crisis or ethical and crisis management or something. You know, it, I, as I reflect back on it, it was, there was complete like bananas-ness going on because right at the height of, just before the trial, I was subpoenaed for the Scott Peterson trial if you recall, he was the one that murdered his wife, Lacey Peterson. And he was trying to use as an alibi that he had been home that morning with Lacey watching Martha Stewart. And I was literally contacted to, and subpoenaed. And it was like, uh, it was right at the time that Michael Jackson was also in trouble. And I made a little bit of a quip when I said, Next thing I know, I'm going to get a call that Michael Jackson is having Martha Stewart's baby or something as bizarre as that. And at the time of her trial, Ashcroft was the attorney general, and there were so many white-collar criminals that were being tried down at the courthouse in uh, New York. It was a media circus. It was a fiasco. And the thing I remember the most about it we were all still on Blackberries. It was before the iPhone came out, if you can imagine. I feel like I'm really dating myself. But we had to check our Blackberries at the front of the courthouse. Everybody had like a coat check. You had to check your device, which the courthouse, the right at the time that her verdict was being handed down, so were some of the other, the Enron guy was there, all, a bunch of white collar criminals. And the courthouse had run out of cubbies for everybody's blackberries. That's how bizarre of a time it was. I remember that time because I remember all the fashion magazines talking about what she wore, which like you cringe now. It's yeah. Like, you know, everybody was calling it, you know, what it was that I don't remember, courthouse chic or whatever, because she was probably, you know, the best dressed person that had walked in there in a long time. Well, and she used to get really nice takeout from um, some of the downtown restaurants for lunch. Right. I um, and we, the executives, we took turns. You, uh, every day, one of us was at the courthouse. Um, I always happened to be there on Wednesdays, oftentimes in syndication. Um, other celebrities have Wednesdays off. So that's when some of her supporters would come 
and I would be there on Wednesdays. And then every evening at five o'clock, each of the executives, we had to be on a conference call. We had crisis management and corporate attorneys because you had to hear what was going on at the courthouse that day because somehow or another it was going to affect your business. And you had to figure out how you're going to maneuver through that. So did did you just want to go home when you got that call the first day when you were <laughs> is that just you know, the one thing about me my twitter handle is uh warrior you really do want to be in the foxhole with me because i'm really a cool customer under pressure and i like challenges and one of my former boss's boss jerry Layborn, who was a great mentor to many of us females out there she was vice chairman of uh, MTV Networks when I was at Nickelodeon and she called me for a drink and I hadn't seen her in a while. And she said to me, you only like impossible challenges. And that has stayed with me for a really long time. I like really hard things. I, I, I mean, there were days when my eyelashes hurt. That's how much of a brain craze you were. But, um, it, it was, there were trying times for sure. I guess one of the tips I would have is, you know, I should have practiced it more, but self-care would have been a good way rather than crawling into a wine bottle at the end of the day. But um, I, I have to say, I, the, you know, they don't teach you this stuff in business school and it was hard. And I, I was incredibly prolific through a very challenging time. So what do you think it is about you that makes you a warrior? What in your past would make you like, did you just pop out of the room, out of the womb with, you know, the bow and arrow in your hands or like, what made you like that? Some people say it was their parents and their parents coaching or things that happened to you as a kid or because some people would turn and run home. I remember when I first took over Red Book, Literally, I was so excited. It was my first week. It was my, I'd run one magazine already, which was uh, YM. But the guy from circulation comes in the first week and he shuts the door and he goes, okay, let me tell you the truth about Red Book. And I'm, this is my first day on the job. I'm like, right. what? Yeah. Goes, I told them this thing is in such trouble. They may as well just shut the doors and collect the money instead. I was like, great. And this is the head of circulation. I'm like, thanks a lot. I mean, I literally wanted to go home crying. It was just like, great. So how do you get over that? Like, how do you deal with that? You know, I guess, I guess, I'm not to get too psychological, um, love my dad, but he was a chauvinist and, you know, girls could only do X, Y, and Z and boys did A, B, C through Z. And I think that, you know, proving him wrong all the time was part of, I guess, is part of the DNA. And I, and he's long deceased, but maybe I'm still fighting that. Um, I, I'm not one that takes no for an answer very well. So I think, um, but, but I'm a great collaborator and I'm, uh, I always like to look for solutions that haven't been thought of. So I think that's part of my DNA, I would imagine. Just just like I found a solution when, you know, instead of suing CBS, I found a workaround. Um, and, you know, I remember when things were really bleak 
And then we were on the upswing. I remember saying to the board, I went from being a girl who couldn't get a date for the dance to being homecoming queen, because we just rose her back up like a phoenix. And in the time that she went away, she would call it going to Yale. I would call it, you know, our bosses in the hoops gal, the big house. Um, We literally were incredibly nimble and creative and positioned her for her big comeback in a way that people were clamoring for an opportunity to work together. And I literally remember going from a negative 10 million EBITDA to a 50 million top line in the course of five, six months. I've never been that prolific again, but I was pretty damn proud of how well we did. It's totally amazing, completely amazing. Um, So how did you actually do that? I mean, did you have to, you know, like, I mean, how did you take control of your whole business when you were just starting out? I mean, did you have consultants? Did you, I mean, and how did you handle yourself? I mean, you're literally walking into a war zone, right? Which unexpectedly, which you'd had, mm-hmm. you have any idea that she was in trouble at that point? Or I, I, You know what? I joined in the summer and there had been rumblings and, you know, there had, she had made some public faux pas and some of the um, interviews that she had done. So I knew that it was troubled waters, but that attracted me even that much more. I, I guess like, I, I like those situations where you're not taking a brand that's just so successful and just continuing business is the same. I like either growing a brand or reinventing one. Um, A lot of that was, you know, I'm a good communicator. I was honest and open and transparent with the team. They knew that we were in jeopardy of losing distribution. And that was problematic because 200 and some odd people were uh, their jobs depended on that. In the end, we did go off air for a little bit because of uh, her conviction, but we pivoted. We had a bunch of other thing, irons in the fire. We made new content that was of appeal. Her, The halo of the Martha Stewart brand was certainly sacrosanct, and that helped, and we drafted off of that. She wasn't featured in any of the new content, but it came under the imprimatur of Martha Stewart Living, Omnimedia. Um, and as just before she went in, I filmed her doing a bunch of things that honestly we created a, a killer promo tape that I rolled out at NAPBE, which is the big convention, National Association of Television Programming Executives, where these kinds of deals got done. And um, like, like I said, we kind of rose her again like a phoenix and it became an auction situation. And at the same time, I did some home video deals, a serious radio deal that's still going on for her company. She's still on the Today Show. We secured uh, a couple of times a month for her to participate on the Today Show. So we were able to really uh, bring her back in a, in a large fashion. What do Sadly, you mean? Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, she certainly still is incredibly relevant to 
um, pop culture these days, particularly with her association with Snoop Dogg. And her magazine still is beautiful. And her, her business is different than it was, but she has weathered the storm quite well. And do you think that there was anything to do with her being a woman that allowed you to pull her back out of the fire? Was that an advantage or a disadvantage? Some people will um, surmise that she got a raw deal because she was a woman. I, I don't go there. I think, you know, there she was convicted of five felony charges, most of which had to do with lying to the government. And um, I think the positioning in resurrecting her was just staying true to her knitting, if I can use a pun. And um, we modernized her in her uh, new version of herself. I mean, literally the promo tape I cut was using tracks from the killers, which, you know, heretofore her, the music behind some of the content was very, um, was more classical and, and, you know, not so au courant. So bringing her into pop culture was part of it. And, um, and then being able to just stay true to what it is that she did so well. I mean, so many people revere her and so many people are well taught by her and appreciate her expertise. And where are you now today? How did that pivot for you? What are you up to and, and what are you doing? And how did, how was that played out by that experience? Well, after backbreaking work, to say the least, it was going to go back to business as usual. And I didn't want to do business as usual. I had been through tri truly a war, as had many of my colleagues. And I decided to seek challenge in a different way. And if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. I kind of went around the world, scaling Kilimanjaro and Machu Picchu and doing boot camps in Africa. I just needed physical challenge to kind of clear my head. And then through some reinvention, I, you know, began some consulting. I drafted the curriculum for a business school uh, MBA program. I was asked to be the dean. I chose to teach grad school for a little bit. I became sadly cancer captain. My best girlfriend was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. Her husband couldn't deal. I took control of and managed her care through sadly a terrible illness did some consulting for some other businesses, went back into corporate again, In um, did a joint venture between Liberty Media and Sony Corporation for GSN and World Winner. And then I kind of pivoted over to the digital world. And I'm now involved in a company called Healthy Nation. We create Emmy Award winning short form content for health condition and health lifestyle. And it's distributed both on our own platforms as well as other over-the-top platforms around the world, telecoms and their digital initiatives, uh, local broadcast affiliates and their uh, digital initiatives, doctor's office, hospitals, exam rooms, waiting rooms, um, 
and some streaming services. And we're prolific producers of health condition content. We're both a media publisher as well as a uh, custom production company. And it's an ecosystem that I had no idea how vast it was. Uh, equally as challenging with some of the regulatory things that uh, are affected by healthcare initiatives, but very rewarding as well. Amazing. Sounds incredible. So can you, can you talk about, so if somebody finds themselves in this situation, Heidi, <laughs> what are the three things you would suggest, very concrete, as concrete as you can be? I would say honesty. On with, and honesty and communications with both the team that you work together with, with as well as any superiors. Um, my superior was a C, I was president of a division, but I reported to a CEO and then the board. Um, this was all going on during the time when Sarbanes Oxley was rolling out, so there was, and we were a public company, so the scrutiny and the um financial statement meetings every quarter with the CFO and the um, general counsel were always trying. But honesty in your communication, honesty and transparency, I don't mean to sound cliched, but I just kept people apprised of what was happening. Um, I think nimbleness, I'm good, really good at, and being able to turn on a dime. Granted, we were a large public corporation, but um, I was fortunate. I have a big entrepreneurial spirit in many of the companies that I've been with, even though they've been large, huge public companies. My maverick uh, nimbleness has always been um, well regarded and supported. And then the third thing that I would say is um, like, I needed a punching bag. I needed some outlet, I, and I am a boxer. I needed some uh, exercise and physical outlet to just get the, my yayas out, because it was definitely a challenging time, uh, and that helped. Are you a meditator or anything like that? Did you get into any internal? I wish I, I, wish I had... I wish I had the nervous system and the ability to quiet my mind. I, um, I'm good at yoga, but um, I, I, I'm not a meditator and I value it as an admirer of it. Um, but I would say no. To tell you the truth, I played a lot. At that time, I played a ridiculous amount of online poker all night long. I'm not a good sleeper. That's hilarious. And I, I learned to play Texas Hold'em. At the time, Bravo had a show that was Celebrity Poker Showdown. And I was fascinated and kind of madly in love with a couple of the guy poker players. And um, that I, I would find some solace in playing online poker at night, all night long. That's pretty hilarious. So what, looking forward, with everybody coming out of this lockdowns and COVID and all these companies, I mean, so many companies are going to have to downsize or pivot or 
you know, lay off tons of people or merge or disappear, or we don't know what's, what's coming for anybody. How do you see this? Do you have a sense of what you see out there, what you're feeling, or what you think the post-COVID world is going to look like for this kind of business? You know what, I have to say, you know, I've taught grad school for a long time and I've just always mentored people throughout their careers. And I'm incredibly impressed by the 20 somethings who are furloughed or find, you know, not, or have been unemployed and they're being incredibly entrepreneurial. And the last couple of months I've spent a good deal of time, like, coaching and talking with men, young men and women, first helping them to find where their passion is, if they're thinking they want to change, and then supporting their, you know, new endeavors, um, either through mentoring, coaching, uh, connecting them with other people that could be helpful. This morning, uh, I was writing headlines (laughs) for some Facebook ads for a young man who's got a new idea. I was helping him out in that regard. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm totally in great admiration of how people are finding whatever their inner passion is or new entre- entrepreneurial endeavors. Do you and think there's going to be more entrepreneurs that we're going to need? Is that what your sense is or what are you thinking? Yeah, because I, I mean, I, we've all proven that we don't really need to be in big offices working together to accomplish things and be productive. And I think, you know, there's going to be more and more people choosing their side hustle versus what their day to day is. Um, And I don't, you know, I'm speaking as a boomer, not as a millennial, but I'm just um, in, I'm really in great admiration to see what some of the younger people have figured out on their own. Yeah, I think they're actually better prepared than we were for this new world. They're much more sanguine about it. They're not, I don't know, I think we were dreamy eyed thinking you'd join this thing and it would take care of you and you would go you know, go up through the ranks and, you know, all this stuff. They have none of that. <laughs> they're yeah, like, exactly. they're like snails. They come, they have their backpacks, they got all their stuff with them and they hang for a while and then they go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and everybody, you know, says it's terrible. They have no commitment, but they've, walked, they've learned through our, what happened to us where we were so committed. Right. And, well, like, and I was going to say too, I mean, Back to your point, I mean, we work like like maniacs. I mean, we were all workaholics. We were crazed. Um, it's okay to take a walk in the middle of the afternoon these days. It's okay to like, uh, you know, I've taken Pilates at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday and I'm pretty happy about it. So, you know, finding other ways to get your work done, done it doesn't mean you have to be at the office at the crack of dawn until late at night. Yeah, I think they have a better balanced idea of what it should be. And hopefully it will not, you know, eat them alive the way it ate us. Though I think the problem is, is that they work 24-7, which is why taking the walk at 11 is okay. So we got to figure out how to get rid of that 24-7, which is right. That's a burnout, asking for burnout. But anything else you want to leave us with? We're at our our, uh, time here for, um, for how long our our 
time lot is for our podcast. Anything else you want to say to these women who are, or men, who are trying to reinvent themselves and find themselves like holy moly in this kind of situation? Uh, The only thing that I would say is bravo all of you guys for the, the thinking and the invention and the reinvention and finding that passion and uh, uh, go get it, go after it. Yeah. I think you just, you just have to really dig and, you know, all, I I guess, you know, one of the things I've learned after talking to so many people about various reinventions is 90, you know, like even if you get fired, these things are all survivable. We think they're not, but they are all survivable. For sure. For sure. Thank you again for inviting me. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to a time when we can all see each other. Yes. Other than on Zoom. Yes, exactly. Good. Well, we'll we'll drag you down to New Orleans when we have one of our events. I I would love that. I mean, working at Food Network. uh, Oh, yes. Yes. I I was in New Orleans a lot as that's the home of Emerald. Yes. uh, Perfect. I love the food in New Orleans. So I'm going to have it's to come coming down. Back. Yeah. It's coming back. Thank you, Heidi. Take care. Pleasure. Thank you again. So thank you all for joining us on Reinvent Yourself. Wow, what a story. I have to say, when I heard Heidi's story, I was like, I have to interview her. We haven't had that one. <laughs> We haven't had, what do you do when your boss is sent to jail on your first day? Um, But what a story and what a story of survival. And what it tells you is that, look, all these things are survivable and you just have to reinvent yourself afterward. Um, And nobody gets off scot-free. Nobody who sticks their neck out and tries to be really successful is not going to run into difficulty. The key is, is to keep pushing through, keep using every brain cell you have, use all the connections you have. And one thing that she says, use self-care too, when you're in that kind of war zone, which she was in. So I hope you enjoyed this. If you enjoyed um, this podcast, I hope you will take a subscription and also come back and join us on coveyclub.com, which is where we have all our great written content. And join us in Covey Connect, which is our private app where we all have private discussions that there are no ads, nobody's dealing in your data. And I hope that if you know of anybody who would be great for for interviewing, who's done a fabulous job of reinventing themselves, I hope you'll write to me which is leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at coveyclub.com, just like it sounds. And uh, let me know who you've heard of or who you know, or if it's you, that would be great. Anyway, thank you so much. And I hope if you enjoyed this podcast too, you will give us some stars or give us a comment or a rating, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Take care till next time.